Mark Levine, as many of you know and heard in the first hour every Wednesday on the program, is a former legislative counsel to Democratic Congressman Barney Frank and the House Judiciary, Homeland Security, and Financial Services Committees. Uh, more than a pleasure to have my buddy, my partner in crime and co-host Mark Levine with me on this hump day. Hey, buddy. Happy hump day. How are you? Happy, happy Wednesday. Always a pleasure to be here. Um, a lot of things we want to talk about, and you and I don't just uh, throw this out there off the cuff. We definitely uh, do plan. Um, there is the power now, certainly always has been the power, but the president is, in a sense, uh, giving the power to Congress to debate a war. Because obviously entering military conflicts without a declaration of war from Congress Although isn't unconstitutional, it's not really palatable, especially when you have a majority of Republicans in the House and the Senate, right? Well, first of all, talk about some people believe that you have to have a declaration of war from Congress in order to en- enter a military conflict like the president has in the past with airstrikes and currently uh, with airstrikes with ISIS, you know, in certain countries like Syria, Iraq, parts of uh, Libya. Uh, but as he's done in the past uh, with Libya, um, he really doesn't need to have a full declaration of war from Congress or even full congressional approval for the first 60 days. Let's talk about the difference between a military conflict, a declaration of war, and what the Constitution says about that. Well, frankly, this has been a bone of contention for 200 years. So any answer I give you, uh, I have to make both sides clear because I wouldn't say that this is, there's a definitive answer. But it is true that the uh, the Constitution provides Congress with the power to declare war in Article One. It also provides the President, as in Article Two, as the Commander in Chief. And it's the conflict between those two articles that has largely laid the basis for the conflicts between President and Congress over war that has existed for more than two hundred years. Basically, in a large conflict, not quite clear what that is, but a large conflict with military boots on the ground, we're supposed to have a declaration of war, and we've had them from uh, World War, from the War of 1812 up to World War II. In a smaller conflict where the president can sort of order people in an emergency, uh, you don't necessarily need one. When Thomas Jefferson fought the Barbary Pirates in 1804, he didn't ask for a declaration of war. But you could argue that that wasn't boots on the ground, it was boots in the sea. I'm not sure. In any case, um, this power has been... Uh, used, and many would say abused, particularly since World War II. Most of us know that Korea, Vietnam, Persian Gulf, uh, and the wars in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, not, none of those were with an official declaration of war the way the Constitution provides for Congress. However, all of them had some kind of authorization from Congress. Uh, Gulf Tonkin Resolution with regard to Vietnam, uh, and in the most recent conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan, Arguably, it all comes out after the authorization for use of military force that came after September 11. Now, many would say that's already been abused because that authorization was supposed to be to get the people who killed us on September 11. So you could argue that it justified Afghanistan, but it didn't justify Iraq. And, and Bush misused it. Uh, but then again, if Bush can misuse it, why can't Obama? One last thing, in the 1970s, following Vietnam, Congress passed a resolution called the War Powers Act over Richard Nixon's veto, uh, but Congress can do that with a two-thirds vote, that basically says if the president puts forces into conflict without congressional authorization, uh, he's got to withdraw them within 60 days unless he gets congressional authorization. And um, Obama has apparently ignored that as well. So... Uh, this has been an ongoing battle for 200 years, and it continues to this day. 
So is this just a, at this point, a, a political issue? And, and I say that because you know I'm a Fox News contributor, and on many media outlets, especially more right-leaning conservative outlets, the argument seems to be and the focus seems to be more on, you know, does the president refer to 21 Egyptians massacred as Christians, Coptic Christians, what their religion is, or how he refers to ISIS and whether they're uh, jihadist, fundamentalist, Islamic fundamentalist, etc. When I think we all know that no matter what you call them, the strategy to defeat ISIS doesn't change with the name of that organization. Well, certainly. And that, that's, that's completely political. What, what I was trying to describe was the, the legal no, no, I understand. But now that you've described legal, we go from there to political, because the politicians ultimately yeah, well, have to make this decision. There's a huge political problem. And, and frankly, uh, I have different uh, arguments with Obama from what they have at Fox. Fox wants him to focus on, I guess, who's being murdered. Uh, my general question is whether President Obama is, is too, well, depends where. Too cautious in general, I was going to say, but Lair, I'm largely thinking of Ukraine. ISIS is such a mess. Again, I wish we'd done something three years ago, but now it's such a mess that I, I fear we're helping Assad against ISIS, which I don't want to do either. So it's, it's, I do hope there's a large debate over it, and I, I spent the whole first hour trying to describe all the different players in it. It's extremely complex, and I'm not so sure we know what we're doing, but then again, I, I certainly don't think George Bush knew what he was doing 10 years ago either. Right now, this is not just an American problem. It's a worldwide problem. No question. And it is, in a sense, an ideological problem. And I'm I'm not talking about Islamic ideology, because uh, depending on who you speak to, even former hostages, uh, what ISIS states, what uh, some things going on in these uh, ISIS-built caliphates in areas of Syria and Iraq, and and then what some hostages have said uh, of their... um, of uh, the people who are holding them seem to be all uh, different stories. Uh, there are different groups in different places, different types of people with different goals within these organizations. And I, I think the, the bottom line here is, you know, these guys want power, whether you call it political, you call it religious, you call it a caliphate. Is it possible with such different ideologies in our own government for one plan to be devised going forward when many times it seems that Republicans just want boots on the ground so that they can prove George W. Bush was right with doing so and invading the sovereign nation of Iraq and the president is completely against. In other words, in other words this just you know comes down to, down to, you know, doing it my way or the highway, you know, both with the president and with Republicans in, in power in the House and the Senate. And that doesn't accomplish anything for the best interest of not only the American people, but peace worldwide. All I can say is yes. There are no easy answers. No question. Has the president, legally, on this issue, ever overreached, in your professional legal opinion, with regard to military action that the United States has taken currently or in the past with any military conflicts, which we have been involved in, even if no boots touch the ground? I would say he has overreached. I think he's overreached not as much. I think 
basically all presidents tend to overreach in this regard. Well, I think he should have gotten authorization a lot sooner than We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to reconnect with Mark so we can have him repeat that. We're going to continue discussing this and many other issues in this hour. We hope you'll join us. I'm Leslie Marshall. He's Mark Levine. I am Leslie Marshall. He is Mark Levine. And we co-host Hour 2 every Wednesday, every hump day here on the only true democracy in talk radio. Mark is back. Uh, Mark, anything more to say on the power of war debate that we were uh, discussing in the first segment, or did you want to move on? Either way, whatever you want, Leslie. Well, I mean, if you have more to say, I mean, I'll be well, full, I'll give full disclosure. You, these are the topics you picked. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I'll just say this. I, I think that President Obama has gone a bit over the line. I would argue that virtually every U.S. president has, but I think he has as well. I don't think the authorization after September 11th really justifies the actions that he's doing now. I'm glad he's seeking authorization now, but I do think he should have done it sooner. That's the the short answer. Do do you think, you know, as in this piece, The Power to Debate a War, declare war does have kind of a magic meaning to Americans? Well, I think it does, and I think we should do it more often. I think we should have these debates and declare war. I think that's the right way to go. It is in our Constitution, and I think that that's uh, the appropriate way. I mean, all these uh, other resolutions, everything from the Gulf of Tonkin on to today, I think are a bit of a cop-out. I yeah, but declaring supported... war also has huge implications numbers-wise, financially, and then, of course, human lives. Well, yeah, and it also brings about a lot of protections, including those protections for prisoners of war. Uh, that may be why George Bush got away with Guantanamo Bay, uh, for example. Okay, let's move on to the immigration, uh, you know, uh, kibosh, if you will, by the judge in Texas. Uh, there were people yesterday that were saying, look, the president is within his right legally. Um, he has the authority constitutionally as, uh, you know, in the executive branch as commander-in-chief and president of the United States. You know, this is going to be, you know, a cakewalk. Department of Justice is going to, you know, appeal this, cross some T's, dot some I's. Now, today, there seems to be a 360-degree about-face in the legal community. Many people saying that this rebuke by the Texas judge on immigration may be hard to challenge. As an attorney, who's really, you you know, with Gore v. Bush and other, uh, you know, huge uh, cases, which uh, you're biting off a lot there. Uh, do you, which do you agree with? I, I mean, are the legal analysts right yesterday, right today, or a bit of both? Well, I, I think the court went a little too far there. I, look, uh, at the end of the day, uh, clearly Barack Obama has discretion as the president of the United States to enforce uh, the laws in a way that uh, uh, that he wants. It's called prosecutorial discretion. Basically, no one has the resources, including this president, to prosecute every case. Every not, not district attorney doesn't prosecute every car who speeds or even everyone who robs a store. And certainly, when it comes to immigration laws, we haven't deported everybody who's been in violation of our immigration laws ever. So it, the president can pick and choose which he thinks are the most serious cases. In this case, President Obama has decided to go after criminals first uh, and not to go after people who've been here a long time and, and haven't done anything wrong. That's his choice under prosecutorial discretion, and I'm quite confident that that's how the case will uh, ultimately be resolved. Now, this judge claims that he didn't dot all his I's and cross all his T's. He didn't follow certain administrative procedural law. Uh, that's a technicality. What it means is if this judge is right, then Obama can dot all the I's and cross the T's and still get it done. It isn't a challenge to his ultimate power to do it. It's a question of whether he did it in the appropriate 
appropriate manner, and, and maybe he didn't. But that, to me, if it's true, is a minor setback. When we look at this judge, I said it yesterday, I'm going to say it again. I, I don't understand, you know, Mark, I'm not an attorney, but help me here. This is a guy that has been very vocal against the president, very vocal against immigration, likened himself to Noah and the immigrants coming over as being the flood, if you will, into the United States or floodwaters to the United States. It, it, you know, it, it, can this work in the Department of Justice, the United States' favor, the Obama administration's favor, um, you know, can be it be added to a number of reasons for the appeal, which is clearly this judge, and I think everyone agrees, despite their whether they agree with him or not, that he should have recused himself. He is supposed to, after all, be supposedly impartial and unbiased. You know, judges give their political opinions, I think, far too often. I think when you decide to sit on the bench and wear the robes, that's when the political opinion should stop. I, my guess is the plaintiffs did some judge shopping. In other words, they chose a specific district court in Texas with this judge because they knew they would get a favorable ruling. And that's something that, that happens in litigation, but it also means that we shouldn't take too much, um, so, you know, we, should, we shouldn't pretend that this judge is, is, is the be-all and end-all. This is one district judge in Texas. His ruling has not been, you know, supported by other district judges. And it's very important. He didn't challenge President Obama's authority to do this. He said he didn't dot the I's and cross the T's. He was a procedural challenge. The judge, it was almost like he was looking for any way to, to stop the program, and he largely will stop the program at least for a few months. I don't think he'll ultimately stop the program. Okay. Will this go to the Supreme Court, do you think? Depends what the Fifth Circuit does. That's the intermediate appellate court uh, that uh, is over Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. If the appellate court supports Obama, it doesn't need to go to the Supreme Court. If it doesn't, and then it probably will get up there. Do you think this is a difficult uh, battle, and therefore will it be lengthy? And if so, what kind of length of time are we looking at? No, I think it's a very technical thing. I mean, basically, he said the president didn't publish in the register sufficient notice. So if I were the president, I'd keep the appeal up, but I'd go ahead and do the publishing that the, that the guy wants him to do, and then 60 days later, we're, we can move forward anyway. It's 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 very much like a, a parking ticket, or or you know, it's it's the judge did manage to stop the program, but like I said, it's not a challenge to the presidential authority. It's it's like saying you didn't you didn't dot your i and cross your t. So if I were the president, I'd appeal at the same time I'd dot my i's and cross my t's, publish it in the Federal Register, and we should be fine in 60 days. I do not consider this a big deal. It's a big deal in the sense that it stops the program for a little while, but it ultimately cannot succeed. Stopping the program for a little while, an initial victory for those in you know 26 straits that brought this case, uh, alleging that the president had exceeded his powers with this executive order. Does that mean that ICE can go ahead and uh, deport people even if they have a child that is an American? Well, it's tricky because the way the president's program works, the people have to sign up for this benefit. So if they don't sign up, then ICE could go forward. But at the same time, the president controls ICE, so he may just tell ICE to back off. I, I really think this is a tempest in a teapot. I mean, obviously people are nervous because they can't sign up. And so theoretically, of course, ICE could do that. But I would think the president would do whatever he could to, to not let that happen. And if the uh, if it gets to the Supreme Court, is there any way you feel the Supreme Court would rule in favor of the Texas judge as opposed to I don't think so. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about more stuff here with my buddy and partner in crime in talk radio. Every Wednesday on the Only True Democracy in Talk Radio, Mark Levine. Don't go away. 
And we're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. He's Mark Levine. Mark, before uh, we let uh, ourselves move into an area that I truly care about uh, as as a parent, and not that I don't care about the immigration, but I do do believe what you have to say, and my gut just tells me that, you know, we will be moving forward. Uh, Marky Mark Maldi, our executive producer, uh, gave me an interesting article that actually just came out on immigration, and I wanted to ask you about it. Uh, there was a poll that came out uh, yesterday by the Public Religion Research Institute, and they found that most Americans, 73 percent actually, support Congress moving forward to pass a comprehensive bill rather than working to undo some of President Obama's executive actions. Kind of sounds like the health care reform, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, including the ability of nearly 5 million undocumented immigrants to obtain work permits and legal safety from deportation. Uh, you know, does the public's opinion uh, of this matter or does it just come down to like you said making sure they do dot those i's and cross those t's well it absolutely matters because the president obama's executive order even though i think it's legal and i think it'll go through only lasts until january 20th 2017 when he's no longer president and uh, the next president no doubt if it's hillary clinton will continue that executive order that policy if it's a republican uh he very well may not so uh, it, it absolutely matters what, what the public thinks. And what's interesting is the public largely supports the president, as you point out. 73% is very large. It's ironic that the vast majority of Republicans do not. But my guess is the person who gets the nomination, and, it, and at this point I do think it's leaning toward Jeb Bush, but even if it's someone like Marco Rubio, uh, or frankly George Bush Jr., someone I didn't like very much, but on immigration, he wasn't that different from Barack Obama. The Republicans who are national leaders understand they cannot write off the Latino vote. But the local Republicans who are you know, representing a district that doesn't have any Latinos, they can be as, as anti-Latino as they want. Uh, very true. Let's move on to another issue. And uh, this was interesting that you picked this. I hadn't seen this today. Uh, and when letting your kids out of your sight becomes a crime. It really caught my eye. As you know, I'm a mom. I have a six-year-old and a seven-year-old, uh, you know, a six-year-old girl and a seven-year-old boy. And I think all of us, and Mark, you know this, you may not have children, but, you know, your dad and your dad and mom want this for you. You know, my parents wanted this for me. I certainly want it for our, our children, which is we want the best, right? Everybody, why does everybody work so hard? You want the best for your kids. You want them to be happy. You want to be successful. You want to protect them. You want to protect them from harm. I'm overprotective. I certainly do uh, want that. Um, but th- this whole piece talks about protecting our kids from extremely remote threats, but ignoring things that most endanger their well-being. Now, uh, first of all, tell us what this is about and and, and why you picked this, because uh, this obviously has legal implications for parents, and that's a slippery slope many of us parents feel. Well, I remember back a few months ago when a woman in California, um, it was uh, an African-American woman of limited means trying to hold down, I think, two jobs, and um, she didn't have any place to send her kids after school. There was no daycare at the public school. So what she would do is she would uh, bring her kid to a, like a jungle gym. Uh, She knew some of the other moms there, and um, basically... The kid would stay at the jungle gym while this woman went to work. And what happened is, I guess one of the other moms, it wasn't sort of a formal thing where, you know, they were 
best friends or anything, but at one point the, the, the other mom left and her child was left alone. I think she was nine. Uh, it was a jungle gym near their home in a relatively safe area. Anyway, the police came, uh, picked up the child, and then charged the mother with child endangerment. And I, I'm trying to remember the details, but they maybe even put her in prison or at the very least took the child away. And, and put, you know, whatever you think of this mom, putting the child in foster care didn't seem to be a good solution. You know, leaving a child in a jungle gym, I don't know. I, I just, I really felt for the mom because I felt like she had no choices. You know, Republicans complain if this woman hadn't been working, they'd be complaining, you know, she's a welfare mom, she, she, she's not working. This woman's trying to provide for, for her child, trying to do the right thing by working. She's of limited means. She doesn't have any kind of daycare. One of the things we Democrats actually promoted with welfare reform was to require there to be some kind of state-funded daycare because if you're going to force these welfare moms to work, at least get them a place for their kids. Anyway, I really felt that she was doing the best she could, um, and I don't know, a nine-year-old alone on a jungle gym? It doesn't seem to me to be the worst, worst crime in the world. Um, so I, I had some sympathy for the mom. Well, you know, again... There, there's a line, right? I mean, you know, a lot of people might be saying there ought to be a law. We need laws in place to protect our children, and obviously not every parent's the best parent. But doesn't a parent get to decide how to parent and, and how far they should go to protect their children? I'll tell you something. My sister and I used to walk to, to school when I was in first grade. I was in first grade. I was six. My sister was nine. She was in fourth grade. And it was a neighborhood school. It was down the street. Uh, it was about, um, I don't know, maybe three-quarters of a mile away. Uh, I, 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 I know the route. Well, we did that every day. Well, I would, and, and part, it, was, it was fun. I got to walk down to, with, with my big sister, but she was nine, I was six. Why couldn't the police have stopped us and charged my parents with child endangerment? Is that so different from the woman leaving her child on the jungle gym? I, I don't know. But, uh, and, and that's extreme. But, and, and that's a ext- nine-year-old girl and a six-year-old boy, and we walked, you know, a ten-minute walk from school. Would you also say, though, Mark, that when you just look at pure numbers... The numbers of children that are abducted today versus when you and I were kids, or, you know, like people say it was different back then. Many people left their doors unlocked. In other words, you know, the boogeyman was already out there, always out there, but there are more boogeymen now. You know, I don't know. There were children abducted in the 1970s. Uh, there are children abducted today. There are horrible people out there. Are there more horrible people out there than there were before? I'm not sure. Uh, do we really want to say that, that kids can't walk home from school now? I mean, I, I don't know. I just well, I, man, and and this is where I got to say to you. Look, I don't think parents should be, uh, you know, cited for child negligence or abuse or, or written up. But I do think that people need to be aware. Uh, if if you read any interviews with pedophiles who are in prison or have been released, or people that abducted children where the children were found dead or alive, um, one of the things that they do is they watch the patterns of behavior of a child. They That's watch, true. you know, what time they leave the house, what time they go to school. They learn their names by parents putting their names on their backpacks, on their T-shirts, on their on their uh, ba- baseball caps. Um, and the, these are small things that help the bad guys, if you will, uh, you know, use that particular child. Um, children up until the age 15 are abducted. Over 800 children are still missing that were abducted in the United States. And they all were taken, whether they were in a lo- alone or in a group, 
15 years of age or younger. And okay. if, if, you have and two, if you have two children alone, a nine-year-old girl or boy is not going to be able to fight off an adult, whether that adult is armed or not. True, but 800 kids in a country of 300 million with, I don't know, 30 or 40 million children. Well, wait a minute. That's 800 children that are still missing. That are still missing. How I many mean, look, children I, have been found and been found dead? As you know, within the first 72 right. hours, if the kid isn't found, they're usually found dead. So, so what's your view, Leslie? I mean, should, what should, should... Well, I don't, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't think it's wrong for us to educate... Uh, parents. I mean, there are children. Oh, I, there I are children. The there are children. But... Although not the norm, there are children that have been abducted or even murdered in their home. If you look at Elizabeth Smart, a Jean Benet, a Polly Class taken from her home in front of other children with her mother oh. down the hall. We know these names, I think, because I think the danger is relatively rare. J.C. Dugard was abducted walking up the street to school. Yeah, no, look, I, I don't deny that it happens. I um... I don't want to take the chance that my child is that one. That it happens and, to. And, and I respect that. You have every right to do that as a mother. But I also wonder about whether we are being too careful. I mean, you know, if your children want to go outside. When can play, we say we're too careful? You know what? I, I, when can we them? say we're too careful? I hear people say that all the time. You know, we don't want to be too careful. But if it's, if it's the one time. How, you know what? The Hasidic boy in, in, in New York City. The first down, first time, the first time, the mother let that little boy walk to school, and he was abducted, molested, and murdered. The one time, I, I know. And if she had to go back in time, you know, she wouldn't do it. I, I mean, to me, it's just not worth the chance. I just think about all the times as a kid that you know, I was my cousin down to the creek. You are not living in 2015, my love. Well, I don't know that it's that different. It's I, I very di- really. Then how come chance. we? Uh, wait, if it's not that different, that we have more people, we have more bad people simply because we have more people. And how come we? How come we have to lock our doors now when we didn't when I was a kid or when you were a kid? Uh, maybe we know more than we did then because there's pervasive news media and we might have only known of a local problem and now we know something that occurs in Colorado or or uh, Kansas. I mean, Do I, you think that children are more easily accessible because there's more information out there? There are people posting pictures of their children on Facebook, well, on Twitter. Silly. I think that's silly to give your a digital record. I, th- of I your think kids it, I, I, th- I think you might as well call a pedophile and send him a postcard of your kid. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I I certainly think that's a that's that's a silly thing to do. At the same time, I want to feel like kids should be able to go outside and play without having you know an adult. Well, we're not talking walking to and from school is not playing. It's a route of right. and a but pattern that that, that often are being watched by bad by the boogeyman. Couldn't do that in my day. Right? I mean, there are advantages, too, to the modern day. I mean, I, I, again, a kid just dials 911, and immediately they, they can GPS and know where that kid is. They're, they're, I just, I don't know. I, as a kid, I, I didn't want necessarily my parents around every moment when I was outside playing with other kids. I, 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 I yeah, but how old? How old? At, at what too. age? Well, I think a 10-year-old should be able to play outside don't you well my children play outside but i do not let them play in the front yard i let them play in the backyard okay. because people will i i'm a, i'll be honest with you, i live in a gated community in a cul-de-sac so it's a bit, a bit tougher to 
take my kid and speed off because you got to turn around. Okay. <laughs> you know, That's it slows good. you down and you, you got to get out. Um, I shouldn't say that. My, my son will go outside and, you know, you know, play some basketball uh, in the front. But I'm, all, I'm always watching him. But I, I do uh, – I'll let them go outside and, you know, play in, in the backyard. But honestly – no, I, I won't let my kids, you know, sit on the grass in the front playing with me inside and preoccupied and doing something where I can't see or hear them. I won't do it. I've just you seen know. too many children abducted from their front yard that I'm not willing to take that risk. Maybe yeah, I also think you should disclose my, my what your favorite channel is. Well, well, in addition, well, wait, wait, there are a few things. One, I, as you guys know, I lost a child in 2004, which makes me hypersensitive to losing another. Um, sure. Not from abduction, you know, from from a terminal illness. Uh, two, uh, I do ID channel is one of my favorite channels, um, you know, or my favorite you know channel. And I I am you know I'm always reading and watching this stuff, so it's definitely top of mind for me uh, compared to uh, some others. What's your favorite docudrama? I don't know. <laughs> you know, on NBC. Oh, docudrama, Law and Order. Yeah. SVU. Yeah. Yeah, Law and Order, SVU. I, I yeah. think it's a balance, and I, I think that we can be too cautious. I think that you don't want a child that doesn't have the independence, that they're always looking at mom, you know, uh, you know, you can be too timid and not ready to join the world if every time you're looking back. Look, you, Mark, Mark I, I, I hear you. My, my, my son is seven going on eight. We were in Target. Right, he's young. We, so we, were in the, we were in Target the other day, but when he's and he needed, he, needed, he needed socks, and he said, okay. Mom, I want to go pick out my socks and i said wait because we're getting your sister this one thing and the girls and boys sections uh separate from each other across from each other in our particular target and you know he said i want to go by myself and i said no and he goes mom i'm gonna run over pick out my socks and come right back and i said no and he goes mom you have to trust me and i'm standing there with everything in my might and he goes Mom, you have to let me go. You have to trust me. And just those words. And I said to honey, I, it's not that I don't trust you. I don't trust other people. Right. And he said, Mom, I know what to do. Because I've yeah, been teaching. Yeah, he would scream. He said, oh, no, I've taught my kids. You scream. This is not my mommy, not my daddy. And you kick them in the penis is what yeah, I've taught them. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I've taught them. And you scratch their face. And okay. you do everything you can. I if, would let but, but can I tell? Can I tell you something? You can't be too careful. Let me tell you this. We got to take a break, and we'll talk more about this. And and if we have calls, eight 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 six Leslie, eight 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 six five three seven five four three. You know, are you on Team Mark here or Team Leslie? Do you think we need to be more protective of our children, or do you think we're too protective? Wait, 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 wait! Don't play the music. Let me tell this one thing. Thank you. I was in <clears throat> Target again another time. I live there. Uh, Marky Mark can attest, right? Marky Mark. Yes. You can, yeah. Okay. You can attest. Okay. So half the time I talk to you, I'm in Target right now. No, exactly. I, I mean, but even as Mark's a new parent, you just you know one stop shopping, formula, yes. diapers, you know. Whatever. Yes. So um, since my kids were born, you know, they should have a you know 15 items or less, and then Leslie's aisle, you know. But anyway, uh, I was um, I I needed to go to the restroom, and my son had to go, and this was before I'd let him go to the, you know, Ben's restroom, and by himself, which depending on where I am, I might. And I stand at the door talking to him, scaring the crap out of anybody who potentially touched my kid. I'm like, I'm right here. I'm right here. I see your feet, buddy. You all set? You need help? You know, I just keep, I drive people crazy. Anyway, so my my, my son and, and you know, had to go to the restroom. So he went into the ladies' room. I went in. There's nobody in there. And I'm, and I just, he said, Mom, can you help me? He couldn't unbuckle. I, I went to unbuckle. My daughter said, I'm going to stand right here. I don't have to go. At the dollar section, looking at dollar fairies and princesses. 
I came out. There is a man, young and attractive man. Never would think, oh, that's a bad guy or a pedophile, okay? Standing behind my daughter. And I'm standing there just looking at her and watching him. And I had a really sick to my stomach feeling. And she was looking at stuff and he was very close to her. Too close for comfort. And he was looking and she was looking. I called her over. She came. He looked at me. And he ran out of the store. Hmm. Now, he had not bought anything. What the hell is he doing in there? Why was he so close to my daughter? He didn't touch anything. Looking, He was looking at her, not the merchandise. I'm sorry. That was too close to the front door. I, I don't know if he got his yayas off over the, the look of her, the feel of her, the scent of her. I, I don't know. My daughter, unfortunately, fits the majority of what pedophiles desire in a young female girl. And my son and a young female boy, unfortunately. And... I, but I have to say, I know that I know that I know, I know that I know that I know that that man was up to no good and that if I had stayed in that restroom longer, my daughter may not have been there when I got out. I know. I was almost kidnapped when I was seven years old, actually. I had just learned about not to take candy from strangers. I was playing in the front yard of my best friend's house, and um, they this car pulled up, rolled down the window, and had a bag of candy and asked me if I want candy, and I was literally about to step forward, and then I just remembered... I don't know, my grandma or my mom or in school taught me that. And I didn't go, and I went to the house, and they sped off. And once I was older and I realized what happened, to this day it still scares the bejesus out of me. Right? I'm, I mean, it was scary. I'm not going to lie. So, But I get what Mark's saying, too. I think it's tough. How do you let your kids be independent and not teach them to rely on you all the time but also protect them? All right. We'll take a break. When we come back, let's take some calls, some tweets. Mark and I will continue this. we got a lot to talk about. We're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. He is Mark Levine, and we are talking about our kids, protective, overprotective, uh, underprotective. Uh, guys, do we have any calls on this yet? I know sometimes people love to just hear us debate. No at the moment. Uh, let's uh, see uh, on uh, Twitter if we have some people uh, sharing that. My uh, computer is acting up. Let me see. Let me see. No. They do not have they do not have the response on this. They're just listening to us. Well, here's, um, here's the thing, Leslie. I mean, I am not denying, obviously, anything that you or Mark have said. There are real risks out there. Um, that's certainly true. And, and you know, my, my fear is, though, that, that people can be too careful. And I won't name names, but I'm thinking in particular of one mother of uh, someone I, I know very well who was so overprotective of her son that when this son reached the age of 20, uh, he still really didn't have that sense of independence that, that, that you want in a child. I, I, I just, I, my point is not, not everybody wants, but not everybody wants, the, not everybody wants their child to be independent. I mean, don't we have the right to, you know, raise our children differently? I, yeah, no. <laughs> I think kids, I think kids are individuals. <laughs> I mean, and so are the parents that raise them. 